Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello and welcome again to MotorWeek Podcast number 132. I'm John Davis and joining me today, our writer-producer, Brian Robinson. Hello. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello there. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. Hello. Hi there. And our special guest, one of our top video editors, Joe Ligo. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And Joe is here because of one of the three vehicles we're going to talk about today. We're going to cover the uh, 2016 Tesla P90D, uh, the the 2016 Nissan Titan XD, that's the one with the Cummings diesel, and a 2016 Jaguar F-Type S. This is the V6 manual everyone was waiting for. Let's jump right in with the Tesla P90D. Okay, I'm going to start this off. This is, by some estimates, one of the fastest production cars um, around. Uh, several magazines have said it's the fastest uh, four-door that they've ever tested. It has a zero to sixty estimated and uh, claimed by Tesla of what two point seven? Motor train two six two six two, six, two seven or a road seconds. Track, one of them. Yeah. Uh, and we got about four seconds, which is still darn fast. But basically, our a combination of things. Uh, we have a, a track that is uh, not in prime condition, and also Ben, the traction control system combined with that to kind of keep you. Tell us about yeah, it seemed... when you put the pedal to the metal to the Tesla. It didn't really go. It's still it, all the power is there right off the line, so it still gives you a good jolt. But it seems like their traction their traction system is extremely smart and knows exactly how much traction it's dealing with at a, a fraction of a second and will only will deal you out enough power to give you a, a thrill ride but also keep itself out of the wall or out of trouble it's yeah, that's, basically that's, it's, that's it's my erring assessment. on the side of safety that's your assessment 100 percent. it won't give you more than you can handle for sure it still gives you like i said and i think anybody who really hasn't experienced a 2.6 0 to 60 on the street it's like would, a bike would think their four seconds is 2.6 because it's well it's that many years ago that we hadn't seen a car that did zero to 16 four seconds so were you were you impressed though with you called it almost a whiplash experience oh yeah it's 100 percent of your torques there at the drop of a pedal um and with no engine noises to accompany your body and all your senses really aren't really ready for it and they're a little shocked it, it feels like an on-off switch yeah it like took it, joe it, down the track in it yeah it it's um it, it it the the thing I compared it to and it sounds silly was kind of like the e golf is like the e golf is a junior 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 sort of version of that experience but it's like an on off switch you don't have that kind of like half second of oh no it's, it, you're getting basically a hundred percent of your torque in a millisecond or something yeah, yeah it's so, like a roller coaster launch yeah 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 that's a great way of putting it because it just pulls differently even if there's other cars that do zero to sixty in that same amount of time it just feels different it's a different kind of pull. So what's the point of this car? Is it just to be ludicrous? Yeah, yeah. It's a you know the software update that makes it happen. Yeah, why not? If you can do it, why not do it? And and why not make? Why not give it a cool name like that? That that then that seems like everybody I run into knows about. Let's look at another part of this car, which frankly I think to most owners are, will be 
more, even more important on a daily basis, and that is the all-wheel drive system. I mean, that basically brings all-wheel drive to the Tesla uh, four-door sedan, and that's something, especially up here in the Northeast, is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And a forerunner of of the Model X. So, did you have any comment about how that system worked? Obviously, you weren't in any bad weather, right? It, it seemed to work uh, without any kind of. Um Artificial. I wouldn't say artificial feel, but it didn't seem like uh, it didn't seem any different from a rear wheel drive to me. It, it functioned. It functioned great in normal everyday use, and there was no heavy binding. And, from there, front and there's a separate electric motors for each axle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, smaller one up front, bigger one in the rear. Mm-hmm. So, so it's rear bias. We're which, talking which, about uh, zero to sixty times and how fast it is. But you drive it on the highway when you're already going sixty, and you want to get to like eighty or. Dare I say say more? It's just as quick. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you want to pass somebody, or uh, you're on like an uh, exit ramp, or or not an exit ramp, like an entry ramp. Ridiculous. I mean, it's insane. Right? Yeah. Or ludicrous. It it pulls kind of the same way at sixty as it does at at zero, which is kind of cool because there's not a lot of cars. It's an equally as bizarre feeling to be going that fast and get that much faster. So when. The Tesla folks take this drivetrain and put it in the Model X. I wonder if it will be the first sub-three-second uh, crossover. <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, I, I mean, there's what's stopping them? Nothing that I can think I hope it has good stability control. <laughs> the rest of the car, I mean, they've gotten a, a, a – haven't had a lot of quality problems uh, with interiors, with that the big touchscreen. There's a lot of stuff on the internet that I can't say I'm surprised, but I think it doesn't always get reported. But – when we first got in the Model S, we were all very impressed at what it looked like and the fit and finish, Mercedes, BMW quality. Anything about that changed or better or worse? I, well, you time? said Mercedes, BMW quality. I think they went rooting around in the Mercedes parts bin because that, that uh, shifter on the yeah, steering column Mercedes parts is there. directly from a Mercedes. And I, I'm not going to say I wasn't impressed, but I mean, because it was certainly comfortable and nice and the fit and finish was pretty good from what i could tell in my limited time but i wasn't blown away by it is it because we've just things have gotten better since uh, yeah i just think everything out? we've driven in the past year or two since the last time we were in one has that's that's the i mean improved. design of that car started in like 2011 2012 and it does feel like a I, it sounds snobbish to say it but it does feel like it's kind of stuck in 2013, and the rest of the automotive world is not. Joe and I were commenting when we were driving that um, the gigantic touchscreen is impressive to show your friends at first and things, but after living it with it for a few hours, that it it becomes too big to be functional on the go, and uh, that it, and that it really hinders the shape. Any kind of you just want a button. better shape, yeah. You just, just want, want buttons, smaller screen, and more, yeah. Design. I, I saw uh, talked to a couple that's got a, a, a one of the first Model S's, and I asked them. I said, "Do you routinely take longest trips?" And it's a retired couple, so you have to understand where this came from. And they said, "Yes, they did. That they were you know drove about six six to seven hundred miles a day." And I'm thinking, but they have to plan their trip between the superchargers. So they're doing 200 miles, stopping for 45 minutes, I guess, then 200 miles or whatever it is. I I mean, this car is spectacular, but it's very difficult. I, there's, we have another friend that, that had one, and he basically couldn't get over saying it was basically a glorified golf cart, no matter what you did to it. <laughs> so, I mean, right now it's one very fast golf cart. 
But do you think that this car, what does this car need besides a lower price to become a phenomenon? Or is it already one? I think, I think they've got the phenomenon part down. They just need to turn it into a mainstream vehicle. That's which I guess that would be my take. I, I agree with you. It needs to go from phenomenon to moneymaker is then the next step. <laughs> well, that supposedly is going to be uh, – what's the small one the supposed three, to be called? The, the three. Model three. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, P90D, no slouch whether you can get traction at uh, our track or not. Uh, pretty impressive vehicle. Moving on to some another vehicle, which has stirred up its own little share of controversy. This is the 2016 Nissan Titan XD. This is the new – I'm not going to use the word heavy-duty, heavier-duty uh, Titan pickup truck. This is the first one with the Cummins V8 turbo diesel in it. Everyone's had a chance to spend a little bit of time with it. What do you think? Is it a heavy-duty truck, a light-duty, a betweener? Does it make any difference? What do you think? I'll, I'll go to Ben on this one. He's the uh, Titan oh, expert. Yeah. I would say it's an in-betweener. It's definitely the tow ratings are up there with heavier-duty trucks than a, than, at the low than rating, a half ton. At the low end. Yeah. yeah. It did have a – I believe it did have – did it have eight lug wheels on it or, or six lug wheels? I can't remember offhand. Good question. I, I think it had six lug wheels, uh, which would indicate a little heavier-duty than a, than, mm, than half ton. Half ton. Um, Certainly not a half ton truck. And with the uh, the goose – it had a uh, gooseneck um, – it had a, a – Built-in gooseneck features. You could put features. a gooseneck on yeah, it. That yeah. indicates uh, in between her to me. Mm-hmm. It was a well-done truck all around. I like it. I think it's certainly a lot sturdier looking and feeling than the original one. But when you close the doors, it just didn't have that solidity feeling that you get with a with an HD from the one of the big three. At least I didn't think so. Well, there I, was something about the feeling. Uh, I think they're marketing it. They, I had to sit through their uh, presentations and all that <laughs> stuff because I went on the trip. But uh, uh, they're marketing it as an in-betweener, so they're not really going after a – they're going after like a heavy-duty truck buyer that wants a light-duty truck comfort. Or they're going after a light-duty truck buyer that wants a little more capability. So they're not really going after – Heavy-duty trucks in particular. What do you think about the powertrain? I mean, that's the whole story here. I thought it was pretty stout. Um, it's clearly not a heavy-duty level of torque, but uh, I, thought, I thought it was pretty stout. The, uh, the government considers it's no it, coming six-cylinder. In the, other words, the government considers it heavy-duty because its GVRW is high enough not to require fuel economy ratings. So I don't know if that means anything. Well, it just shows you how far we've come with heavy-duty trucks. Yeah. They're now medium-duty trucks. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you compare it to a heavy duty from 2001 or whatever, and it's probably bigger yeah. than most of them and can tow more. It tows 12.3, which is kind of right, as everyone's saying, kind of tweener. Um, you know, uh, half tons max out about 12.5, and that's where heavy duties pick up. So I like the powertrain, though. I thought it was um, strong, quiet for the most part. Um, transmission seems well matched to it. I mean, I think. Frankly, think they'll probably sell every one they can make. I'm sure. Yeah, nice the interior was nice too. Talk about that a little bit. So you've had we've been in a lot of pickup trucks lately. How do you think that interior compares to? Well, we've been in Silverados and Rams. Haven't been too long ago since we were in the new F one hundred and fifty. Yeah, it seemed that every door handle or switch was just that much nicer than what I've seen lately in the American trucks, and just a, a big combination of all those little 
slightly nicer parts equal to bigger all-around picture for me. It was the ultimate platinum reserve trim, though. I, I'd be interested in seeing like a base. The only, call, but the at only, least they brought it. The only gripe I had was um, there was a lack of USB plugins. There was only one, I think, in the entire cab, which is a little surprising considering that they have like uh, one of their big marketing points is that they have like 16 cup holders in the car or something like that. So uh, the 16 cup holders <laughs> so and, and one seat, USB port. Nothing in the back seat. Uh, not that I can remember. Or if it was, there was one up front and one in the back, which still didn't scream you look in totally practical. Yeah. I did. Yeah, because like Chevy has like 50, you have 15 different kinds of outlets that yeah, your Chevy console. Small, small office in that. The, uh, they, they went a long way. Uh, you were telling us uh, off mic, uh, Patrick, that they went a long way into saying this is not the regular Titan. Uh, from what we know and what you were exposed to, the biggest difference between this and the regular Titan, besides the engine, is the frame. I, I they they said it some way where they're they're either sharing the same frame and different chassis, or they're sharing the chassis but different frame. I think that's well. What the it frame is. is different, right? So they they're different frames. The bo- the look of the the, the basic chassis. body panels are similar, right? So they were they went out of their way to say. This Titan XD is not the new Titan. I was looking at uh, the outgoing Titan, and boy, does it look dated. Whew. I mean, it's it's time for a change. And I think people will be happy with us that are interested in something other than one of the big three trucks. Okay, moving on now to uh, something, um, shall we say, a little more fun. Uh, one of the biggest problems we had with the uh, F-Type when we uh, from Jaguar when we first got a chance to test it was uh, the lack of a manual. The manual's here now with the V6 only. Um, worth the wait? Is it the correct motor to attach it to? Uh, did it make it feel more like a, if I use the word sports car, don't throw something at me? Uh, I won't say affordable sports car. What do you think? I love this engine. I, not only do I think it's the correct motor to put the manual behind, I think it's the correct motor for the F-Type. Honestly. Agreed. Yeah. 100%. I, don't know, I don't know why you'd buy the V8. It sounds a lot better. Um, the power delivery, power was there all the time. Torque was perfect for everyday use. You know, on a previous show, we talked about whether Volvo is back. Is Jaguar back? I, mean, I thought wow. it was su- surprisingly easy to drive this manual. I was a little intimidated when I first got in, but then... Yeah, it doesn't overwhelm you. It's very easy to drive. Even, like, getting stuck in traffic is not terribly difficult. Um, obviously, it looks just as good. It sounds just as good. So why wouldn't you do this? It's cheaper anyway than getting a V8. I think it sounds better. Seems like the secret to success for Volvo and Jag was to get out from under Ford. <laughs> well, well, I think the big reason is just yeah. the owners are dumping a ton of money into them and letting them do what they do best. And to give Ford its credit, when Ford took over both companies, they taught them how to build a modern car in an efficient way. That was the hard part. Once that's done, now you've got people coming in with them and spending the money on design and not basically rebuilding the factory. And I only know that because I've read a lot about the the Jaguar uh, and Ford tie-up. And apparently when Ford bought it, they walked in and basically they were still building a car like they did in the 1950s. So, yeah. So, and I suspect Volvo was probably having some of the same issues. But now you have to admit that the new owners are leaving hands off. It seems like and just tumping, bumping money in between the Indians and the Chinese. They're doing a really great job. Uh, any other comments on F-Type? Is the manual no cost option, or is it uh, discounted? <clears throat> Don't know. Don't know. Good question. We should know, but we don't know. <laughs> anyway, you look at it, 
I'm sure if you want one, they will be hard to come by. I, I can't imagine the dealers going out of their way to make sure they order one. But um, at least if you're on the East Coast, if you want one, I'm sure you can also get one. Okay, let's move on now to our lightning round where we, all of us at the table here, have about two minutes to debate trending automotive topics. When the time's up, they're going to hear the sound of the bell. Ding dong. Which kind of bell are we going to use this week? I don't know. We'll see what uh, Final Cut. Uh, virtual bell. See what the virtual Final Cut bell will ring. Um, we recently got news that Porsche is going ahead with its own electric hot rod to go up against the Tesla P90D and others. They're calling it the Mission E. Uh, we've just talked about the P90D. Uh, hopefully when the Porsche Mission E gets here, we'll have a little bit better traction. But here's the gist. Will they or some other established brand totally dominate Tesla once they enter the field? In other words, are they going to take the shine away from Tesla if, if they are serious competition? Uh, this is uh, you know high-end luxury performance area. EVs are ripe for serious competition in this area. So suppose you've got Mercedes and, and Audi, and, and here we go with Porsche, somebody going after Tesla. Is it going to be hard for Tesla to stay afloat? What do you think? In that area, to stay exclusive? I don't think so. I think that's still part of the Tesla appeal, that is, is that it's not a traditional car company. I feel, I feel like they're, they're at least one step ahead. So by the time the Mission E comes out in, what, like 2019, 2020, Tesla will already have their third car out. And I just feel like at least for which, now, which which will be a cheaper car, and won't that won't that be you know they're talking thirty grand here, and won't that be a problem with diluting the mystique of the brand? That's one of the reasons they a lot of analysts think they've held back on that third it, car. It could be, but I've, I their mission statement from the beginning was that their goal was to build a uh, their goal was to build a thirty thousand dollar car. Uh, you know, for the masses, that they own, it, it was just trickle down. They had to build them, you know, just like iPhones. They're going to build the expensive one, and then five years later, everybody has but, one. But you're missing my point. If they're going to build an inexpensive car that's, you know, 200 mile range or whatever it is, and they're also trying to sell a six figure car, not too many people are able to do that. Matter of fact, is anybody else able to do that outside of maybe Audi? Yeah, yeah, it is. I guess I, I it would uh, cause a big problem. I see with the fact that they give their customers such special treatment. I mean, it's easy to do all these like elaborate repairs and recalls and fixes and tweaks when you only have you know a couple thousand Model S owners. But once you are selling five hundred thousand cars, you know, two hundred thousand cars. Can you? Yeah, I I guess that would be hard. Well, I wouldn't put it anything. By Mr. Musk, that's for sure. He's certainly a, a brilliant individual. But I think it does make you wonder if uh, Mission E and others join that market, uh, how much, uh, whether Tesla will even have the money to keep up with them. Because after all, they're not making any money except uh, through credits right now on the cars. So, any, any, anything else? Or just we seem like we didn't get a lot of opinions from around the table. Something from the other side of the table. Uh, yeah, I would think Porsche. I think Porsche would definitely take the uh, the upper level market around. for sure. Personally, I mean, yeah, I can't wait to see. If you got a Panamera, if you could get a Panamera that was as fast as an S, a Tesla uh, Model S. Yeah. yeah, you've already got everything else that works about that. It would trump them so in well. style and comfort. And mm. let's face it, people doling out six figures, they like style and comfort. Uh, you know, I've said a long time, and I still think it's true, that 
Tesla's salvation is going to be somebody bigger than them is going to buy them up and buy that technology and then have the money to to really, you know, exploit it. And start making gasoline cars, gasoline-powered cars. (laughs) It'll be a separate division, I bet. Okay, let's uh, move on to our viewer question. Jeff writes in and says, is there a mileage limit or time limit when a failed seatbelt latch is no longer covered by a manufacturer? I was once told it is one thing that is a lifetime covered from failure. If so, is this a government guideline or is there even a guideline at all? Anyone have any factual knowledge on this? I have no factual knowledge. I think you have to look at what's going on in the world today and say that if there is a safety defect, which is what you're talking about here, no matter who says what, there is no timeline to when the government could step in and order a recall. It's very much like uh, the aircraft business. Uh, Over the years, the FAA has called and grounded – uh, uh, aircraft for all sorts of reasons. I guess that would be the N, uh, the uh, uh, NTSB as well. But anyway, they've often found fault with an airplane that was made 50, 60, 70 years ago and forced the manufacturer, uh, if they're still around, to fix it or whoever holds the rights to it. So I don't think you have to worry, Jeff. If there's a problem in your uh, with a seatbelt latch in your vehicle, I think if uh, it comes to light that it's defective, it will get fixed. Anybody have any? Uh, uh, I'm not sure that thing? we're talking about massive scale defection. I think he's talking about a specific one seatbelt in one car. Well, he probably <laughs> is, but uh, and I don't think that's war- I don't think it. that's warranted forever. I mean, I can't take my '68 Mustang in and tell him that the seatbelt no longer works and get a new one. If you went into a dealer and you said, "Hey, my seatbelt latch is broken," you don't think they'd they'd try and accommodate you somehow, shape or form? I'm pretty sure that they. I've had that exact experience mm-hmm. in my wife's Kia, and they did tell me I was out of luck. <laughs> I, I, had this, I had the same experience. Yeah, they can't warranty that stuff forever. I think it. it they must can't vary. warranty it forever. The government, but we can. The government can force you to call it's it a back massive forever. Scale, but yeah, not on Mazda. I had a similar situation in Miata, where Mazda absolutely did give me. A, I had a jammed passenger mm-hmm. seat buckle on my Miata. With it had like two hundred fifty thousand miles on. It was really old. They said, "Yeah, that's covered for you know the the length of the car that." And they they gave me a new one. So it's clearly maker to maker. Sounds like an answer. So, Jeff, the answer is if if it's a massive recall, (laughs) it probably will be covered. But otherwise, it's a manufacturer to manufacturer as far as we know. And we did actually try and look this up. Uh, So if your dealer is telling you no go, I would take the next step and call the 800 number in the back of your owner's manual and talk to somebody at the factory. You may get an entirely different response. Or try another dealer if you want to do that before that. (laughs) Okay. Rant and rave, anyone? Anyone got anything that they'd like to get off their uh, chest this week? Nothing, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Oh, come, come on, Joe. On. Come Bring on. Guest ah, that's guest, part of the requirement of being the guest Joe. contributor. Uh, well, there there is one thing I want to rave about. All right. That's a that's a good thing. That's good. We so, haven't had to can't be Tesla related. Uh, no, it's not. It actually uh, it has AMC to do with, it has to do. No, it's not AMC related. <laughs> for the man talking. Jeff is our resident automotive historian, along with being a brilliant editor. Oh, well, thank thank you. But uh, no, one thing I, I want to rave about on the video side is uh, I love watching like our retro reviews. Oh, and we got to pat ourselves on the back here. 
We not not quite. I was going to pat our viewers on the back. There I love go. reading the stories people post on our YouTube channel about the old cars we share clips of, and that's because of this kid next to me who doesn't has my last name, but uh, basically is no <laughs> relation. Weren't you the one that started posting our uh, retro reviews, Ben? Basically, and it yeah. was kind of a reaction to Jalopnik doing who, it. Who did a really good job with them. Yeah, because yeah. people were like taking old VHS tapes mm-hmm. of Motor Week and uploading it to YouTube. And we said, well, why shouldn't we do this? But I love reading the stories. Like you post like the most random car. We uploaded like, you know, old like GM's entire model line road test. Oh, and here's stuff where you see at the beginning of, the, of each year. Here's season. people saying like, oh, you know, my mom had a citation like that and it caught fire and, it, 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 and it's so much so i want to i want to thank all the the viewers you sh- i want to rave about our viewers who share these stories because it's fun it's fun for a guy like me who you know wasn't around back when those cars were being made to see that you know hear the the funny stories people share about them the interesting um thing about what's going on happened in the last several years especially with the new members of the staff like uh, joe and and ben and patrick here is you've looked at our archives and saw new uses for them and given them new life and uh you know we're now up to over a million youtube hits a month which is due solely to the fact that we're putting a, a lot of these retro reviews up. So uh, that's the thing. Thank you all. That's pretty spectacular. If you haven't had a chance to, to dive into our YouTube channel, you could probably spend a whole year uh, just uh, surfing through them. There's a lot of retro stuff on there. And, uh, Ben, I guess you're putting up more all the time. Yeah, Joe's taken over the reins uh, lately. He's yeah, been, we we argue over what cars to to put up. So Ben, well, don't put them all up at once. The, no, I mean, early nineties yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, early nineties. Were there any decent cars made? In the early <laughs> That's 90s. kind of the fun part. Yeah, is exactly. that, that there there aren't. So then <laughs> then you like I said, you hear these stories from people. It's like, oh, I had a Mitsubishi Starion, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. And thank you, everyone, for being a part today. Our writer-producer, Brian Robinson, our road test producer, Ben Davis, our writer, Patrick Lucas, and Joe Ligo, our editor, who stopped by to be a part. I'd like to thank also our um, podcast creator, Bob Mixter, our podcast producer, Patrick Lucas. And sitting in for our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, today is David Wainwright. And, David, thanks uh, for stepping up and letting us use your facility and making us sound halfway intelligent uh, when we can't do that on our own. To all of you out there that watch, listen, or whatever, however you digest Motor Week, thank you. It's been 35 wonderful years. We're here because you want us to stay here. And no matter whether you watch us or hear us or read us or pull us up on your phone, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. Until next time, for all of us at Motor Week, be safe. And remember, it's you and your life behind the wheel. See you soon. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station. 